You're listening to the Crossroads Grace Podcast, a podcast of Crossroads Grace Community Church. To learn more about our gathering times and ways you can get involved, check out our website at crossroadsgrace.org. You should also know that our mission statement here right out of the gate is this. We want to lead people to discover Jesus and follow him fully. It's why we exist and want to help you any way that we possibly can to do that. Um, Some of the ways that we help you follow him fully and really engage with one another is through worship. We love to worship. Didn't they do a great job today? Just, whoo, man, that's powerful, powerful stuff. but we're going to have an event where we're going to just do some extended time of worship and a time of prayer, and it, you will not want to miss it. In fact, it's going to be on Friday, uh, January 31st, coming up this week at 6.30 p.m. right here at the church. We're going to give you a chance to have a family-friendly event. There's no child care or anything like that, but we'd love for you to join us. 6.30 right here. We're going to pray for our online campus coming up. We're going to be praying for those people that will engage with it. Pray for our church. Pray for our, our country. Uh, also our families. Just a chance for us to push pause pray and worship. Make a point to come out. We're going to really have a great time with him. Um, But again, based on that uh, mission statement I mentioned earlier, to discover Jesus and follow him fully, that's the whole crux of the series. We're taking a microscopic look at that mission statement. Because what we said is that it's really important to have the right order of it, that we need to be able to discover Jesus before we follow him fully. It's just not fair if we do it out of order. Now, I kind of had an example of where I saw this take place when I was in Africa. I was in there a couple of different times doing missions trips there. And if you'd like to go on a missions trip to Africa with us, we've got an informational meeting right after this service today. You can get that or you can join us online and take a look at it, but find out about a trip that's coming up. But when I went to Africa, it is a, it is a literally life-transforming moment for me um, and my wife also. But when I was there, I talked to some of the team members on the ground. I said, hey... Globally, we see that, 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 that Africa is just coming alive with Jesus. It's one of the fastest growing Christian areas in the entire world. And I wanted to know, like, like how is that? Like, what's the deal? Because you see these big events where tens of thousands of people will come forward and they'll accept Christ and you're blown away at that. And, you, and so I just wonder, what was that all about? And they said, you know what, it's true. There will be tens of thousands of people that will step forward and they'll accept Jesus on a weekend. But what you don't see is the very next weekend, you might have those same 10,000 people come forward and accept Mormonism, or they might accept Islam, or they might accept Buddha or Vishnu. They, they kind of just accept it all. They want to cover all of their spiritual bases. And they said, if you really want a good example of that, take a cab ride in Africa, which I don't recommend because it's crazy if you do that. But um, when you're in there, you'll notice that there might be a crucifix on the dashboard next to a Buddha, next to a, you know, they, they, it's, it's how they live. They want all of, they want to cover all the bases as much as they can. And the same is true, I really, as I started to think about it, that that's what happens if you, if you follow Jesus and say, I'm going to follow Jesus before you discover who he really is. And, and, and the truth of it is, is that we all kind of have that within us, but we, we need to get it in the right order. And that isn't to say that God didn't move in those moments. I don't want to say that at all. I'm sure that there's plenty of people out of those 10,000 that really had a Jesus moment. They followed Jesus and their lives are completely transformed. I love what Billy Graham did with the crusade, with the, his revival crusades. And I love what um, Greg Laurie does down in Anaheim and around the country. Like, I think those are fantastic. But my concern is this. I think that there's a syndrome that might exist out there. And the syndrome is, is that we will grab on to things, we will grab on to Jesus for all of the fringe benefits. 
hey, I love that whole forgiving the sins thing, and I love that whole like getting out of hell thing. That's pretty cool. And, and, and the heaven getting in there, I really love that stuff. But we never really discover the fullness of who Jesus is and what it means to follow him completely. We just want to make sure that we cover all of our spiritual bases just in case. Now, if you're here today and you don't believe in God, that might be a disconnect for you. Like, I'm not sure all these other religions and stuff kind of go together. But you, you very may, might have something else that you do. And that we try to do things or have things in our life in order to cover all of those bases, too. You might have seen people do this. Like, they get water bottles um, and then they just cover them with stickers, you know. Like you, maybe you've seen that or maybe you do that or maybe your iPad or your, your laptop and you just kind of cover it with stickers. It's, it represents a little bit about you and people can look at that and say, oh, you've been there and you've been there and all that. And you just, it's kind of like a way of remembering things. But have you ever thought about your life as like a water bottle that's covered in stickers too? I mean, really think about it. That, that stickers represent things that we have to have, that we think to the public, in order to have a successful life or for people to think that we're doing good. So, so that for everyone that looks at us, they know kind of what we're about at the same time. So you might start off with a Jesus sticker and say, yeah, I'm, I'm all about Jesus. But then you start to realize, ah, I, I might need some more stuff. And so you put a, a money sticker on there. Or you might put a, an RV that you can't really afford, but you get it anyway, like an RV sticker on there. And, and in relationships, that's really important. And your job, that's important. And your kids are important. And, you know, you got to have a boat with the RV and a really nice car and like all that kind of stuff. You put it all on there. And, and you, you might have a Jesus sticker maybe on there, but maybe you don't at all. We we really think that it's, it's God plus other things that are going to make us complete. And, and why that's important is that really this is kind of the foundation of our, of our look at this discovery series these past three weeks. We've said that if we want to follow Jesus, we need to discover him first. And, and to do that, we've been using the Gospel of John, John chapter 3 to be specific. And we've, we've used that as a way of looking at a person's life in the Bible. His name is Nicodemus. And we bump into him, and the Bible tells us very clearly that he was a religious man, and he was part of a, a sect of the Jewish religion known as the Pharisees. And the Pharisees were an interesting group, because they were highly knowledgeable in the Bible, but they felt in order to really apply the Bible the right way in modern times, you had to add laws onto the Old Testament laws. So they took the 613 original laws, and they would add things onto it in order to make it more relative. But the problem was, is that they were saying, in order to interact with God, you have to do a bunch of stuff. But Nicodemus wasn't just an average Pharisee, though. He believed all that stuff, but he wasn't an average Pharisee, run-of-the-mill. He was a very influential one. He was part of the Sanhedrin, which was the ruling government of the Jewish people at the time. And he would have been one of 71 men that would have been on that council, and they would have overseen civil matters and criminal matters. It was really the most powerful entity at the time. And, and, and he would have been sought after because of his knowledge and all of his connection with God. People would have looked at him and said, man, you've, you've made it in life, Nicodemus. You have absolutely done it. In other words, if you would have looked at Nicodemus' water bottle of life, you would have seen everything on there and you would have said, man, you, you've got it. Everybody could see all that stuff. And you would think that everything was going just fine. That is, until Jesus came on the scene. And then everything began to change. Because when Jesus came onto the scene, he began preaching something completely different than the Pharisees. What he would preach is he says, hey, the kingdom of God is for everyone. Not just like all these like crazy rule follower peoples. It's for everyone. In fact, I'm trying to take things away from keeping you from me. I want you to be that close to me. You are, you are welcome just as you are. 
And so Nicodemus would have hated everything about Jesus. Everything that he was talking about or he believed in, he would have followed him around and made fun of him. He would have, he would have tried to disprove Jesus in the public opinion, like everything. He would have hated him until he started to follow him around and he began to discover who he really was. And, and one day, he was watching Jesus and his curiosity got so strong that he did something that no Pharisee would dare to do. And we read about it in John chapter 3, starting in verse 3. It says, Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. So Nick comes to Jesus in the cover of night... And he begins to inquire deeper about what he's heard Jesus talking about, what he's seen Jesus doing. And he wants to know some deeper meanings of life. And what we find out in Nicodemus' life is he's had this, this flow of discovering. And the way that it really took place was that he began by simply watching Jesus. That's right. He would just watch Jesus, what he was doing, following around and all that. And then the next thing from watching, though, it changed into what we said was curiosity. That he went and said, okay, well, I've seen you doing, let me ask you some things about what I'm trying to understand here. And then from the curiosity, the next thing that came out of that was naturally was a chance for him to listen. He just listened. Big ears, small mouth, Nicodemus listened. But when you go from watching to asking to, to, to listening, there's a natural question of, then what's the next thing? What, what, do you, what do you do next after all that happens? Because Nicodemus' journey to, of discovering Jesus, it should have never happened if you judged him on what his life looked like on the outside. It never should have happened. Why in the world would somebody that was powerful, that was influential, that probably had a lot of money, was very like, had a high status in the, in the community even had a, 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 an understanding of maybe who God was, why would anybody that had all of that stuff want anything to ju do with Jesus? He, he literally, you would think, had, had it all. But he didn't. Because he didn't have all the answers that he was looking for. He did not have the answers to the deepest questions of his heart. The question of eternal life. Because I believe that he could see as he looked at his life that on his own, the things that he was doing wouldn't and could not be enough in order to get him to God. And Jesus knew that. He knew that that was the, the deep question of his heart. And so that's why Jesus answers the question before he even asks the question. He's wondering about this whole about eternal life. In John 3, he says, well... Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. Jesus said, hey, you got to become new. Old stuff that's killing you has got to go. you got to get a little new in your life. It's going to bring you life. And John would continue with this and describe a little bit more what Jesus says in John 3.16, where he says, listen, for so God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And what's crazy is that after this night of interaction with Jesus, that Nick has this moment with Jesus, the last thing that we hear Nicodemus ever say is, how is this possible? How do I have eternal life? How does this whole thing work? It's the last time we hear Nicodemus speak because Jesus has the final word. The final word. But then what's interesting about the story is it just, 
It just ends. Like just, we're done. Like you just kind of, and next. But what we know is that without a shadow of a doubt, that when Nicodemus left the presence of Jesus, he left knowing that Jesus was not just a teacher, was not just a rabbi, but that he was God. He was the son that was given by the father that whoever believes in him will have eternal life and not perish. That's what he left with. But what then? Yeah, I mean, really, what then? What happens next? What happens to Nick? What what, what happens to him? Does he slink back into the darkness and just kind of keep doing what he's doing? Or was there a change in Nicodemus' life? What really, really happened to Nick? Well, what's fascinating to me is that this is not actually the last time we hear from Nick and what I want to kind of look at today as we continue today. Because the next time we see Nicodemus is just a couple of chapters over in John chapter 7. And John chapter 7 is really a cool chapter, and I'm not going to do it justice here today, but I want to get us to Nicodemus. We'll come back another time and unpack this bad boy. But here in John chapter 7, Jesus was in Judea and he was there for a Jewish festival known as the Festival of the Tabernacles. But as you read through it, Jesus doesn't really want to go. Something about all the religious leaders wanting to murder them if he saw him, or murder him if they saw him. Like, I don't know what his problem was, you know? Like, hey, if there's a party and somebody's going to kill me, I'm in, right? What are you talking about? No, of course you're not. But, but Jesus' boys, they're like, all right, we'll leave you behind. And then they leave, and Jesus kind of is like, all right, whatever. And so he goes to Judea to kind of hang out. But Jesus isn't like you and me, where he gets to the festival, grabs a deep-fried Twinkie, and sits on the boardwalk and just watches people. You know, that's not what he does. Because Jesus can't keep his mouth shut. Because as he's sitting there, he's watching these religious peoples, and they're just doing crazy stuff. They're telling all these false lies. They're creating more barriers between people and God. And Jesus is like, that's it. i got to speak up. So he gets all fired up, calls out the religious leaders, says you're misinterpreting all the laws. He causes a stir amongst the people and the religious people at the same time. And honestly, some people love him, and there's a lot of people that don't love him at all. But while all of this is happening, there's one group called the temple guards that are watching this play out. People yelling, Jesus preaching, the religious people like getting them all tied up in knots. They don't know what to do. It's a mess. Jesus was like causing a big old sitch in the middle of this whole thing, you know. And so the temple guards do what anybody else would do in that moment. They go talk to management. Seriously, yeah. Like, they're a bunch of mall cops, and they're like, I got pepper spray and a rubber band. Like, what am I going to do about this whole thing? If you're a mall cop here, like, I'm sorry. Like, I don't know. Like, you're probably... Anyway, um, right? So, so the, the temple guard, they're like, hey, I got to go talk to management. But management turns out to be the religious management. Yeah, it's a bunch of religious people. So in John chapter 7, verse 45, we pick up, it says, Finally, the temple guards went back to the chief priests and the Pharisees who asked them, Why didn't you bring him? No one ever spoke the way this man does, the guards replied. The guards are like, listen, y'all, there's some crazy stuff happening out there. Like, Jesus is just, like, tearing it up, you know. Like, the whole place is up for grabs right now. So what do you, like, want to do about that? And the religious leaders are looking at the mall cops, and they're saying, you could have done something so... Why didn't you just arrest him and bring him in? This would have solved so many problems for us at this point. But the guards say something really interesting that should jump out at you. They say, they say, listen, no one has ever spoke the way that this man does. They're like, listen, 
He's saying some stuff I've never heard before, you know? And if you really think about it, this is so true, isn't it? Again, if you're here and you don't believe in Jesus at all today, man, I'm so glad that you're here. Honestly, I'm so glad that you're here. But can you do this for me? Can you at least hear what he says about himself? This is, listen, this is not what I say. This is what Jesus says about himself. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. Only Jesus. Jesus says that whoever believes in me will have living water flowing from within them. Jesus says that I can forgive your sins. Jesus once said that no one has ever seen the Father except the one who is from God. And oh, by the way, I've seen the Father. Jesus says, I am God. He's not just a good teacher. He's not a nice, just a nice person. He's not a genie in a lamp that you rub when you're in trouble in calculus in college. You know, like it's not about that. No, Jesus is God. That is why the religious leaders say, listen, no one has ever spoken like this dude speaking right now. To which the religious leaders say in verse 47, they say this, you mean he has deceived you also? The Pharisees retorted, have any of the rulers or of the Pharisees believed in him? No, but this mob that knows nothing of the law, there is a curse on them. The rulers snap back. They're like, listen, dude, did, they, did he dupe you too? But then they say this. They, they, say, they say, listen, have, have, any, have any of the rulers or the Pharisees believed in him? And they say, nope, nobody has. Man, now this is some powerful stuff right here if you think about it. Because this assumes a whole lot. They're assuming that no one is buying this Jesus stuff. But what they don't know is that there's been some discovering going on. They didn't know that at their own table was one that was starting to discover Jesus. Check this out. Verse 50 says, Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus earlier and who was one of their own number, asked, does our law condemn a man without first hearing him to find out what he has been doing? You see, Nicodemus knew better right now. He had been looking. He had been watching. He had been asking. He had been listening. He had been discovering Jesus. But now Nicodemus must have felt a whole bunch out of place, you know? This would, have been, this would have been like an astronaut that goes into outer space and then orbits the earth and then takes these beautiful pictures of this wonderful sphere and then comes back to earth and goes to a flat earth group. You know what I'm saying, you know? Well, the earth is flat. There's no way that it's round. And like the astronaut's got to be thinking like, what are you talking about right now? Like, are you kidding me? I was there. Why would they be freaking out? Because they knew the truth. They knew the truth. But here's the deal. The same things with Nicodemus. He knows the truth. But he, he subtly says, he says, hey, listen, what, what if we just watched him? What if we just asked? What if we... But if we listen to him, what if we just discovered a little bit? 
Nicodemus is testing the, the waters of the openness that were in his own ranks at this point to see if anyone was curious about this Jesus like he was. To which the religious leaders say this. They say, they replied, are you from Galilee too? Look into it and you will find that a prophet does not come out of Galilee. They dismiss Jesus because of geography. They shut him down. They shut down every type of discovery in that one moment. Why? Because of what they don't know. Of what they didn't research. Of what they heard about him instead of what they knew about him. My friends, I, I implore you, please, please do not do what these men just did. Don't just assume don't recite the cultural narrative. Don't take the easy way out of moral relativism. My friends, listen. Don't dismiss Jesus without discovering him first. Because, guys, listen. If what Jesus says about himself is true, then eternity is on the line. We are not researching just a new pair of jeans on Amazon, okay? Listen, we are researching on whether or not Jesus is the way to eternal life. And, and listen, I know that all of us wonder what happens when the curtains of this life are over, when they shut. We, we all do. I do. But what you will find. What you will find is that as you research other religions, as you look at all the stuff that you try to fill your life with, none of them, none of them can do what Jesus can. None of them can forgive you of your sins. None of them can fill that hole that's within you right now. None of them can feel, make you feel anything other than heavy and guilty and shameful. Only in Jesus only in his grace do we find the answers that we have been looking for and the freedom our soul has been dying for. But for the Pharisees, they couldn't do it. Instead of trying to discover who Jesus was, they were determined to destroy him. They didn't want to discover, they wanted to destroy him. Which is exactly what we see play out in Luke chapter 22. In Luke chapter 22, we find out that there's a lot that's already happened in Jesus' life, um, even just in the past few moments. What we find out is that Jesus has already had his final meal with his disciples, called the Last Supper. He's prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's, he's, sweat, he's sweated drops of blood and asked God to take the cup that he was about to drink from him. He was betrayed by one of his own men, this man by the name of Judas. He had been arrested and he had been beaten all night by guards who put a blindfold over him so he could not see where the punches were coming and they wailed on him for an entire life, an entire night. He is literally in the final hours of his life. And this is where we pick up in John 22, starting in verse 66. It says, At daybreak, the council of the elders of the people, both the chief priests and the teachers of the law, met together and Jesus was led before them. If you are the Messiah, they said, Tell us. So if Jesus had any sleep the night before, it would have been minimal. He would have been in some of the most excruciating pain you possibly could even imagine. But things were only going to get worse and only go faster and faster in these final hours. And he's woken up by these guards and they drag him in front of a group of people. They drag him in front of the council of the elders, the chief priests, and also the teachers of the law. Council of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law. And who would have been in that group? 
Nicodemus. Nicodemus. As a member of that powerful Sanhedrin, a teacher of the law, a Pharisee, Nicodemus would have been there. Because again, this whole plot against Jesus was not a secret. It was planned. It was schemed. It was talked about. And Nicodemus would have been privy to all of that information. Nicodemus might have very well been part of that gang that went to the Garden of Gethsemane to drag Jesus back. He could have been. It's totally possible. But I will tell you, he was in that room. He was in that space. He heard them ask Jesus point blank, are you the Messiah? Are you God? A question that he had already discovered the answer to for himself. But for these men, it might have been the first time in verse 67. Jesus answered, if I tell you, you will not believe me. And if I ask you, you will not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the mighty God. There it is again. The Son of Man. The most popular way Jesus described himself. 32 times in the book of Matthew. 15 times in the book of Mark. 26 times in the book of Luke. And 12 times in the book of John. Jesus calls himself the Son of Man. It was his favorite name. But in that moment, it might have been the first time that that religious group of people heard himself, heard them, heard him, heard he call himself that. But guess what? It wasn't Nicodemus' first time. It wasn't. He would have instantly flashed back to that night that he came to Jesus at night, and he would have heard Jesus say these words to him. Would have heard Jesus say, no one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. The Son of Man. This name is so fitting for Jesus, not because it just fulfills a prophecy in the book of Daniel, but there's something even more important. That he is the Son of Man because he is the Son of God who has come to earth to save all of mankind. He is the Son of Man. That's Jesus. That is Jesus. And Nicodemus knew this. That now Jesus was about to tell the entire world. Verse 70 of Luke 22 says, They all asked, Are you then the Son of God? The Son of Man? He replied, you say that I am. Then they said, why do we need any more testimony? We have heard it from his own lips. And in that moment, Jesus sealed his fate. Jesus was going to die. And Nicodemus, he was there when the whole thing went down. Yet we don't hear him say anything. Nicodemus was silent. Who knows? Maybe Nicodemus didn't really want to discover Jesus and follow him fully. Maybe he was too scared. Maybe all the watching and the asking and the listening, it just was too much. Because listen, he had a chance to speak up and he didn't. Maybe, just maybe, Nicodemus was more of a Judas than we give him credit for because he also fell into sin because of the fear that gripped him when he could have spoken up. <laughs> ah, but we get to keep reading. Because after Jesus was sentenced to death, when he was flogged, when he was crucified on a cross, when he was pronounced dead, something amazing happens. 
And if you flip back to John chapter 19, we get to see it play out. John 19, starting in verse 38, says, Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices and strips of linen. This was in accordance with the Jewish burial custom. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. Because it was the Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they led Jesus there. Nicodemus was there. Nicodemus the Pharisee, the legalist, the powerful, the doubter, the discoverer was there. He was done watching. He was done asking. He was done listening. He now believed. He was there, not in the dark, but in the light for all the world to see. He realized that Jesus was not only somebody that talked about what he would do, but he actually backed it up. And now Nicodemus realized that Jesus was who he says he was. He had discovered Jesus. And now he gets to follow him and be free. My friends, if you get nothing else out of today, I want you to know that to believe is to be free. To believe is to be free. My friends, this is the story of Nicodemus, somebody that should not have followed Jesus at all, all of a sudden was there when he needed him the most. In the most important moment, he followed him because he discovered who he was. That was Nicodemus' story. And that's my story. <laughs> See, uh, I remember it like it was yesterday. I grew up in a small town in Rapid City, South Dakota. Went to a small church of 200, including livestock, that was there, right? <laughs> First Christian Church is a place that I knew. I went to church every Sunday, Sunday night, sometimes Wednesday I was at youth group. I was in every VBS kids performance you could possibly imagine. Right? I was there all the time. I, I was a good kid. I was a good kid. I, I never swore. I never smoked. I never chewed. I never went with girls that did. Like, I didn't do any of that, you know? I, I didn't. I, I, was, I was the kind of kid that people would say, I want my daughter to marry him. Like that, I was, why are you laughing at that? That ain't now that funny. I got to preach over here more. They need a little bit more Jesus. But that's who I was. I was a good kid. And, and until I went to college, and I went to the University of Nebraska, and I was in the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, and the leader of it came up to me afterward. He says, hey, Brian, hey, really nice to meet you. Love getting to know you. By the way, you're not saved and don't know Jesus, just so you know. Like, whoa, whoa, whew, Darren Duran, hang on, time out, buddy. Hey, I was class brown noser in clear, so I'm good, okay? Listen, <laughs> I'm going to brown mose my way all the way to heaven. I don't swear. I'm a really good kid. I'm really good. He goes, hey, that's really, really good. You still don't know Jesus, so we'll talk about that later if you ever want to. It's like, what are you talking about? Sure enough, you read that Bible enough, you realize that it's not about your goodness to get you anywhere. 
So my freshman year of college, I went home to that same little church that I had been to my whole life, saw the same people that I grew up with, saw the pastors that had come and gone, remember the youth pastors that had come and gone, and I remember all of that, and I also remember vividly that when that invitation happened, I walked from the back of that church to the front of that church, and I met a man by the name of Larry Stevens, one of our elders there. I told him, I said, I want to I know Jesus. And Larry looks at me and he says, I thought you were already a Christian, so yeah, so, so I'm, even, I'm even fooling Christian people. See, I was acting like a Christian without any sort of Jesus at all inside me. And it was in that moment I realized I need Jesus more than ever before. So I accepted Jesus in that moment. And I remember the four greatest letters that somebody's ever told me by my youth pastor after that happened. A couple of weeks later, weeks later, he told me four important letters. He says, I see in you the ability to impact thousands of people for Jesus. At the age of that, I had no idea what that even meant. I do now. But you see, the, the thing is, is that I needed Jesus before any of that could happen. My goodness wouldn't have got me anywhere. Only God could get me where I needed to be. Hey, that's my story. What's your story? I mean, really, what's your story? Every Christian needs that moment. A moment where discovery is over and our faith comes alive. The Holy Spirit fills us and our faith has sight. We all need that moment. It's, it's so important. It's the moment that we believe in Jesus. It's the moment that when we believe, we are free. And for all of us that call him Lord and Savior, we must know that moment. It can't be vague. It can't be a possibility. Listen, it has to be a vivid moment when your soul reconnects with its Savior. And I want that for all of you. For all of you. Nicodemus had that moment. We're not exactly sure when it happened, but I can tell you because of what we just read in John 19, it happened. It was a moment after Jesus hung on the cross and looked down at the people and said, it is finished. He looks down at them and says, forgive them for, you, for they know not what they do. It's the moment when Jesus gave up his life. It was the moment when a spear was run up underneath his side to prove that he was actually dead. It was the moment that Jesus was taken down from that cross and prepared to be buried. It was the moment when two men, one of which was Nicodemus, that took care of Jesus in that moment and in front of everybody, in front of the light of the world, he says, I believe by what I'm doing. He had that moment for himself. He have it for you. I always think it's funny when you read the Bible. Because there's sometimes when you read the Bible and um, you assume a lot. And here's what I mean by that. I don't know about you, but when, uh, when I read that story about Nicodemus, how do, you, how do you picture the men in that story? What are they doing? How are they positioned? You see, for me, I always viewed them as standing up. Like they were standing up having this conversation. But then it dawned on me, and again, this is the Bible over here and Brian over here, but... I just wondered, I think it would be different. Nicodemus comes in the middle of the night into a place where Jesus was staying and hospitality would have been a huge thing then. And I don't believe that they were standing up. I believe that they were sitting down. I believe they might have sat even at a table and that Jesus would look across from Nicodemus and as Nicodemus is asking questions either verbally or from inside him, they would be having a conversation. 
that, they, that Nicodemus would hear this idea about being reborn, that he would hear Jesus talk about how he was the, the son of man, that he would hear about this whole, uh, that, that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. He would have heard all of that. In, in that moment, Nicodemus would have been invited into a relationship with Jesus. He would have been invited in that moment to, hey, get rid of all of your laws and stuff that you think you have to do, and what if you just accepted me? What if, what if I was enough? In that moment, there was an invitation given to Nicodemus. But what we do know is that the conversation ended and Nicodemus left. And maybe, just maybe, when Jesus was being tried, perhaps Nicodemus was sitting at a different table. And he was looking across at Jesus, knowing at what he had heard before, still silent and not saying anything. But maybe he was remembering that invitation Jesus had given. Maybe he was caught up in the fact that this was the Messiah in front of him. Who knows? But even in that moment, Jesus knew that Nicodemus would be doing that to him. But yet he still invited. He still loved. He still offered. And the invitation still stood for him. And it still stands for you. You see, Jesus has given us all an invitation to come to him, to receive eternal life through him. And it's whether or not we do something with that invitation that matters. Guys, that's why when you came in today, everyone was given in their bullets in this um, an invitation. It says you're invited. And the reason we gave it to everyone is because everyone is invited. Jesus had offered this to everyone. But what you need to do today might be different. See, on the back of this card, it has some different next steps that you might consider taking. Today might be, as the first one says, I'm accepting my seat at the table today. That maybe you need to today give that invitation and say, Jesus, I'm turning it in. I want to be part of your table. I am here. That might be you. Some of you might be, uh, have been pushed away from the table for a while. Maybe you've pushed away and we've kind of all done it and done your own thing and you're wondering like, boy, is that, is that seat still, still open for me? Can I possibly have that table seat? And listen, I'm telling you, Jesus doesn't fill it with someone else. That's for you and you alone. And he welcomes you back with open arms. Maybe today you need to come back to the table. Maybe for some of you, the third one is you, that you're still discovering. You're still asking and listening and watching and you just need a prayer for some stuff. That might be you. Number three might be for you. Or maybe number four, that last thing. I just need to have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with somebody. Got some questions. I need some, some answers. I want to be able to hear from somebody. Who, who knows what that might be? Maybe, maybe you're coming from a different religious tradition or you grew up in a different religious tradition and you're like, I'm just trying to figure out what's what. Maybe you need to do that today. But I'm here today to tell you that everyone is invited at the table of God. And Jesus wants to know you and he wants to sit with you and he wants to, to love you just like he did Nicodemus. He wants that for you too. So I'm gonna give you a chance to do that today. At the front of the stage, you'll see three tables that are at the front. Those are reserved for you. We're gonna have some prayer people that'll be available here in a second, but there'll be a song that's going to be sung that I believe sums up exactly what God is telling you, to come to the table. And I want you to come to the table. I want you to bring your invitation, check off what you think you need. I want you to come to the table and meet with one of those prayer, prayer partners at the front. And I want you to be able to feel the freedom that God wants to give you. And I know that there are some people here that need to take that step and you're scared to death. Would you grab the hand of the person next to you if you need to? I don't care if you don't know them. Just say you're coming with me and bring them up. Like that, you need to take this invitation. 
take this invitation and do something with it today. Don't wait. Don't wait. If what Jesus said was true, eternity's on the line. And your invitation is in your hand. There is no secret. It is for you. So as we hear this song, my prayer is that you would come forward, you would take your seat at the table and let your life be changed forever. I believe God will do that today. He's already done it. He'll do it again. Your invitation's open. What you do with it, it's up to you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you constantly show us love in so many different ways. You love us even when we are unlovable, you love us. God, thank you for the life of Nicodemus, somebody that thought they had everything worked out. It was perfect. It was exactly how the world said it should be, but yet he was empty and he was lost, but he discovered Jesus. And as he discovered Jesus, he realized that he had the answers to the question on his heart. What happens to an eternal life? How do I get it? And Jesus is the answer. So my prayer is that, Father, that people today would have that same awakening, that same moment where they say, God, I need your son in my life. And they would take that invitation. They would accept that gift today, today that they would do that. And so, Father, I pray that your spirit would move on this place. The words of this song would overwhelm us and that you would allow us to hear from you. Jesus, this is for you, not for our glory, but for you. Father, move. The invitation is offered. May we take it and may we turn it in and accept our seat at the table. We love you, Jesus. It's all for you, we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us this week on the Crossroads Grace podcast. If you enjoyed this message, please rate us and subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening from. If you are interested in getting involved in our community or want to find out more information, visit us online at crossroadsgrace.org. Thank you for listening to the Crossroads Grace podcast.